This is the Freestyle Way. All right, my friends, welcome back to the Freestyle Way podcast. My name is Carl Powley. I'm your host, and today is a special one. Not just because it's the Freestyle Way podcast, but it's because it's episode 10. 10! That means that we hit a massive benchmark. For me, this is important because last season I did 10 episodes and then after that I was done. This time we've hit 10 and I feel like I'm just getting started. This is just the beginning and it's all thanks to you guys because every week we've been growing, not just in the numbers of listeners that I've been seeing in the analytics, but I've felt the growth and how I felt it is in my DMs my friends you guys have been hitting me up on a daily basis with questions concerns insights and it's been amazing to connect with you guys and this is exactly what I was hoping for and the fact that it is happening right now is a big big deal so massive thank you to you guys I'm excited to continue to record these episodes and to make them as great as they can be and as insightful as they can be and that being said um, this week's episode I am joined by my friend Caroline Burkle who you may know because she competed in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And she didn't just compete, she also stood on the podium with a bronze medal around her neck. And this is something that, of course, I admire very much because my dream as a kid was to go to the Olympics. And I didn't make it there. And the fact that she did and I got to sit down with her was really, really cool. I felt like I got to be closer to experiencing what that is like. And this is something that Caroline shared in detail. She actually shared what it felt like to stand on the podium. And one of the things that she shared that I really enjoyed was something leading up to the Olympics, which was when she was younger, she was overcome with this cloud of expectations because she knew the path that she had ahead of herself. And she talks about how she overcame that. She also talks about making it to the Olympics and then all of a sudden finding herself in the Olympic Village and sitting there having lunch one day and meeting uh, Hussein Bolt, who she did not know who it was and who three days later went on to just crush records. And funny enough, she shares what he was eating three days before his competition, which I found pretty funny. And... Also, she shares a little bit about what it was like making some money after the Olympics. She also talks about a major transition that she went through from uh, going from being a swimmer to all of a sudden going to school and after school uh, in talks with her friend and fellow swimmer, Reb Sony, uh, going out to found an organization that they call Rise, Rise Athletes, which is an organization dedicated to collecting a group of Olympians that mentor youth athletes. And they do this beyond the craft itself, 
meaning beyond the sport that the kids are practicing, they're also teaching them valuable lessons that transfer over into life. And it was so cool to hear how it's been to found a company like this and what it's like right now growing and the value that they're bringing to these kids and their families. It's it's amazing. The other thing that she was also willing to go down uh, the path of was exploring how certain traumatic experience that happened to her throughout her life uh, started coming out uh, as of late last year. She started getting injured and started hurting and through a process of healing and really allowing that trauma to move through her, she has now arrived at a place where she is uh, at a whole new level. And this is something that I acknowledge every time I see her. When she walks into the room, it is felt. And that was just so fascinating to hear what her process has been like and how she's dealt with these uh, traumatic experiences and how they have expressed themselves in her body. And then at the end, actually, we we get a little uh, uh, deeper even and we start talking about alignment And I play a game with her that I call the three superpowers, which uh, I can't wait for you guys to listen. It's at the very end of the podcast. And it's something that I do with uh, a lot of the athletes and uh, coaches and clients that I have that I work with. I help them discover what their strengths are and how they can apply this into everything that they do. And I did this with Caroline and it was a pretty fascinating exercise and uh, the outcome was, was great. And I think uh, it's something that you may actually be able to benefit from yourself. So uh, make sure to listen until the end and hear that part. That that was really fun. And other than that, uh, this is a great deep conversation that I hope you enjoy. She is someone that likes to go deep, uh, is not scared of talking about the hard stuff, is able to keep it lighthearted and always look at the upside. So this is Caroline Burkle, my friends, on the Freestyle Way podcast right now. Boom. We're doing it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you know what? The, hi. We're, we're reaching out. <laughs> Fist bump. There you go. I gotcha. <laughs> um, anytime I'm around you, I feel like anything is possible. Really? How does that make you feel? Pretty good. We just made espresso possible. <laughs> we did. We just learned how to make coffee with Logan. Yeah. And you, who, who did better? Well, did you do it? No, you, I didn't do you my You didn't bit. do it. So, <laughs> not sure how to answer that. Yeah. So, I guess, well, me, you, you in the future. I was, I was watching you make the coffee and it's really good and I'm having it right now and I'm loving it. But no, in all seriousness, thank you for doing this. I'm super excited. Me too. And um, I'm ready to get into it. Uh, there's a lot I want to touch on. Uh, and I think the main, the main reason I wanted to sit down with you is not just because I consider you a friend and I'm inspired by you, but really, I, I mean it. I feel like anytime you're around, anything is possible. You have such a <laughs> positive outlook on the world that I want to, I know you're laughing, but it's true. <laughs> Uh, and I want to share that with with the world, and and I want to unpack what's behind that. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself a positive person? Yes, very. Um, I always see the glass half full and feel like there's possibility in everything. Um, and that's not to say that there's. I think I see it that way because I've seen the other side of it, so I understand both. Um, 
but I for sure I've always been the little kid that's like yeah I can I can totally do that and I pretend like I, I don't <laughs> I pretend like I can't <laughs> for a minute which is something we can talk about but there's definitely always been the side of me with the wildest imagination that anything is possible that I can explore the world on my own and do everything and make it happen and then it's always okay how do I make that happen <laughs> and then that's when I fall into this um, space of okay is that possible or is that not possible like where can I go from here so it's never there's never a ton of doubt it's just always a lot of questions and curiosity I like that um, so you, you grown up swimming mm-hmm. uh, I know you also played a little tennis <laughs> your your mom was a professional tennis player, yeah. but you're like, ah, I'm taking to the water. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we know this about you. Um, and then you eventually getting into swimming at a high level. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a time where you went from loving swimming and going to the pool to it feeling like a job? So many times. Um, <clears throat> I pause there because I don't even know if I can recall one specific time that that was the only thing, you know, this happened dozens of times in my career. Uh, I think that I mainly, I specifically remember the time that it felt like a job when I was finishing my career in college. And that was the transition between NCAA season and Olympic trials, like prepping and training for trials. And I was such a mess. Like that story is to this day, the most, (laughs) I can tell the story actually. Um, I finished NCAAs. I had a fantastic season. I won. I I broke a 18 year old record from Janet Evans. I was ecstatic. I I won this beautiful award and it was at, you know, (laughs) it was funny. The NCAAs were at Ohio state and Ohio state, we had just beat in some other national championships, the football and basketball. And so it was like this big thing. You know, of course I see meaning in that. I'm like, Oh my God, it was like meant to be, you know? And all of a sudden I had this like cloud of expectations just drop on me. And it had been, you know, a very up and down college career in general. I mean, I had a horrible sophomore year, just to be totally frank with you. Like it was not very positive. I was in a bad headspace. Um, I was in a bad place in my life in general, just personally. And so I was looking back on it all and I was like, gosh, that went so fast. And now I have to do this without a team. Like I'm on my own. Like I, I have to continue now. And I'm just Caroline, the swimmer. I'm not really on this team doing this thing really anymore. Like now I'm on my own. And I was 20 and I remember just sitting there, like leaving NCAA, sitting there on the bus, and I was just done. I was toast. I was like, this is a job. Like, this is actually something I have to choose to keep doing, frankly. Like, and I I guess that didn't hit me until then. And so we get back to Florida, where I went to college, and I walked out on pool deck the first day because we didn't get a break. We had to train. We had to get right back in the water and train for Olympic trials right away. And I was not happy. <laughs> Stubborn Burkle, like pissed. <laughs> like, walk out on pool deck. And I was always just eager, you know, glass half full, like I said, positive, like anything's possible, whatever. And I dragged my equipment bag out on deck with the worst attitude, probably the worst attitude I've ever had in my life. But it wasn't, you know, deep down, I'm like, 
still, you know, soft soul, but just wanted some love really bad. I just wanted to be told that I could just chill and have a break and that I did great and pat on the back and get some ice cream. And like, you know, I was in this little pitiful phase of like, I just want to celebrate myself and like, just relax. And coach looked at me and he was, he turned to me and he saw my attitude, walk out on full deck, dragging my bag. And he said, you turn your ass around and you walk right back in that locker room. And don't you dare come back out here till you want to be here. And I never, I never talked back. And I turned around and I go, I do not want to be here. Like, this is bullshit. I want to, I just want a couple days off. I just had the meat of my life, the season of my life. I'm exhausted. Like, I've done everything I possibly can. And I just had a meltdown. So I went in the locker room, stomped off, slammed the door. And I vividly remember he comes running in, you know, the women's coach is coming in the locker room, like trying to calm me down. And, and he comes in the locker room, of course, afterwards in our like team area. Cause you know, at first I was like, you can't come in. you know. And then he finally came in and it was like an hour conversation. But what came of it was him saying, he told me the story of the wizard of Oz and there's so many meetings of the wizard of Oz, you know, that whole deal. And, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, of course, but I, I, he just spoke about it in a way that was relatable to me at the times talking about you have done this whole thing for fun and for a team until now. And now you're in this place in your life where you're trying to click your heels and go home and get, make it to the Olympics. And that's not exactly how it goes. You know, you have to follow the yellow brick road, put in the work, there's going to be shit popping out at you, distracting you, media, people making it your job, people forcing you to have sponsorships, people to do all this stuff. And, you, and this is, you know, back in 2008 where there's like not, there's no social media, like there was nothing. And here I am still overwhelmed. <laughs> I can't imagine now. Um, and so that like dawned on me and he said, don't come back until you're ready. So of course I'm stubborn for a day didn't come back, you know, saying, I'm going to show him. So I like sat home, like on a Tuesday afternoon, like everyone's swimming right now and I'm not like, I feel guilty. (laughs) I came back on Wednesday. And from that day on, I had lights out practices for the rest of the season. And it was only, um, end of March, April, May, and trials were in June. And for anybody that knows me, I was not a consistent trainer. So that was like fantastic. The fact that I could, make it not a job, quote unquote, but make it my, it was like my, my movement. It was like my happy place. Like I wanted to be there because I wanted to influence myself and my teammates and make it somewhere because I wanted to move in that direction to get there instead of just pretend like it's all going to happen, you know? So that was a gnarly (laughs) awakening in my life that, you know, a sport can be a job, but if you don't, really see it for what it is and follow the process, then you get caught up in the bullshit that pops out of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you, did you want to go to the Olympics? Mm-hmm. I always did. I, I have a funny, um, I have a funny, uh, little plaque. Um, not a plaque. It's like a, a piece of paper that my parents made into the shadow box plaque hanging on the wall thing that, uh, <laughs> sounds like a funny description I can't explain it uh and it says I'm gonna go to the Olympics I was 10 years old and I spelled it O-L-I-M-P-I-X nice had no idea no idea what I was doing did I tell anyone else no I wrote on a piece of paper and (laughs) 
So I didn't even really know what it meant. All I knew, to me, everything is a very visual experience. So I felt like I wanted to go to a different country and like get the tattoo on me and like have the colors everywhere. You know, like to me, it was a very visual experience. It was just, um, it was a colorful experience. Okay. And so, so after the, the best meet of your, your life and then having the temper tantrum and then <laughs> figuring out that, okay, I do love swimming. So I'm just going to stick to the process of swimming. Uh, you stick to it and you go to Olympic trials and that goes well because you made mm-hmm. it to Beijing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what was your experience like in Beijing? Beijing is a very interesting country. Um, the Olympic village is, an incredible place to be, but it's also a very high stress environment. And you really have to learn how to put your blinders on and focus on what you, you are doing. Um, but it was, it was really cool. It was really, really cool. It was surreal. It was inclusive. You meet people from all different walks of life from all different countries. I mean, I sat at, I'll never forget. I was sitting across, uh, in the cafeteria from one of the divers that I knew and like two other swimmers. And at the time I didn't know who this person was. And Usain Bolt comes and sits down with us with his teammate. And he told us, it, this was like before the game started, like a couple of days before. And he had said, Oh, you know, my name is Usain, like blah, blah, blah. And he was like, just speaking about what he does or whatever. Eating, literally eating McDonald's. It was hilarious. Cause we have McDonald's in the village. It's sponsored. Yeah. And did That's, the whole chest bump thing like three days me, later. That to me is so crazy that the fact that McDonald's <laughs> sponsors the Olympics I and then you guys on. are like, yeah, here we go. Yeah. So he was eating McDonald's <laughs> mm-hmm. before winning the yeah, Olympics. Fries and chicken nuggets. And you didn't even know who he was. <laughs> no idea. That's crazy. And he just came, but it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, you're sitting next to, and then I'm sitting next to marathon runners with three trays of food just eating so much food and it's healthy. I mean, they have food from every country. So it's a really interesting so experience. So chicken nuggets, fries. Yeah. Uh, it was hilarious. Powder. And then three days later, he's doing the whole, like literally winning the race, chest pumping at the end when he could have kept running and gone even faster kind of deal. <laughs> it was one of, and we were like, yep, fueled by McDonald's right there. Like, but it was so cool because you don't really know who people are. People don't wear name tags. It's, it's, a human behavioral experience <laughs> it's fine it's like you're literally watching and experiencing everyone's behavior and how they're acting and interacting and you know everyone's like flirting with each other and then there's like people from different countries that are just speaking languages and you're guessing what sport they are and you're you know you're on the bus with them and you know you're 20 years old you're i don't know what's happening you know it's, it's a very surreal experience and you don't pay attention to a lot because you're not really like you don't pay attention to really anything except for the fact that you need a race. You know, we didn't get to go to opening ceremonies. If you race like two or three days later, you had to be on day four cusp to go because you stand on your feet for eight hours. Um, so I didn't get to go. And it was, so we watched it from our high rise building in in the village, but it's, it was a cool experience. You know, we, everyone supports everybody. So the basketball guys came and watched us swim and, and they're all like, God, oh, I can't swim for anything. You know, <laughs> it's so great. Like, it's just, it's, and we're like, yeah, we can't play basketball. We can't play ball sports, you know? Well, so it's awesome. just a very, everyone's very appreciative. And I think the coolest thing that I took from it was seeing everyone come together. Like whether or not you're really fantastic at your sport doesn't matter, to be honest. It's cool, but you don't sit there and you're like, they're really good. Everyone's equal. 
you're competitive and you know the other person, you're there competing against everybody and you have that in the back of your mind, but everybody there is there for an equal experience to represent their country at the Olympic Games. And it's it, like that was so cool to me because you just drop the shit. <laughs> you just, you're there in the moment and you're going to experience every high and every single low. But in that moment, you're really in this beautiful cultural place and have to learn the language. And, you know, it's a very interesting experience for sure. Yeah, that sounds so crazy. I mean, my dream was to go to Olympics and I never made it. And just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just listening to it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I loved going to the Olympics. I felt like I was there. <laughs> well, and my brother went to London, so it was a different experience because they spoke, spoke English. And, you know, so it's, it's different anytime you go. Beijing was for sure unique. That is so cool. Very unique. So uh, fast forward uh, just a little bit during the mm-hmm. Olympics to the moment that you're standing on the podium mm. and you're getting the medal. Mm. Uh, what is one thinking about in that moment? Well, this one's deep for me. So I'm going to get deep here. <laughs> Hit it. Um, so you're, you're in, you're on, you're literally in front of the whole world. Like you're on the podium in front of the entire world and you can still be disappointed. And it doesn't matter if you're setting a world record or winning a race, there's always a sense of, could you have done better? Or you're reflecting or you're thinking about what's next already. So the bronze medal, the bronze medal that was put around your neck was uh, a disappointment because it wasn't gold. I wouldn't say a disappointment. It was more a... it's like you're I don't even know the word you're reflective in that specific moment you're like so this is it like that was it we're done like I'm standing here now we're third we're supposed to win but we got third okay it's like whoa let me process this like what's happening but you got to put on your face so your face is on but you're not hearing your anthem you're hearing someone else's anthem. So who was who was standing on top? That Australia. Australia. And they did fantastic. I mean, one of my best friends, Stephanie, is was on that relay, and I mean, they did fantastic. And China got second, and we got third. It was just an up. It was a, a challenging race, and it wasn't for any reason other than they had freaking amazing races. <laughs> like, I mean, they just did great. Like, and so do we. But it was one of those times when everybody did great, and the best people won. We all broke the world record. That's crazy. You guys all broke, all the, broke ro- the world record. And what was the difference between a gold medal and bronze medal? Oh, I think it was like a second and a half. So a second and a half yeah. Yeah. makes that big of a difference. Yeah. It was insane. It, it was insane. And a relay is really high emotion too because you're so invested in your teammates and you're so down to do whatever it takes to 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 make them proud, but to make yourself proud. And then to also do justice to what you've done before and in your life. And, and then, you know, I think you want to impress the world. Like you want the world to see you doing amazingly, especially your country or thinking all these people, you know, that are watching from the United States are watching us on TV. This is cool. You know? And so you're, you're really in the space of appreciation, but reflection because that reflection for me was 
already like what could I have done better or could I have done better or could I have swam an individual race because I almost I was one spot away from making it in the 400 or could I have done these things and that thought plagued me for the longest time and when I think back to it now the reason I smile and get so like let's go deep about it is because if I only would have known in that moment that that wasn't the definition of my career you know like I thought that that was like because I banked the whole thing on like I'm gonna retire after this like this is gonna be so at that moment I'm like oh my god is this so I'm done like this is it like am I supposed to my whole career is this like now this is it and so I I summed everything I'd ever done up into this one moment and for some reason it was like everything else wasn't it didn't matter anymore and I didn't appreciate it and I, you know, I finished the Olympics and I mean, there was still like a week after I was done. So, you know, of course I didn't even warm down. I was like, whatever, there's like still a week of swimming. Now I just get to watch. This is sick. <laughs> so I was like kind of excited. And then you go through all the emotions, but you have this moment of reflection when you're up there and it's just a very, um, it's a hard moment because you, you feel so grateful, but you have a conflicting emotion of what could I have done differently and I would assume that would have happened if it was first too I think that's the mentality which is interesting that is super interesting (laughs) and uh, I mean uh do you make a ton of money uh taking third you do yeah I mean you split it though with the relay okay yeah so you split it with the relay Mm -hmm. you make some money Mm -hmm. boom Mm -hmm. and then uh do your sponsors support you and Mm -hmm. and give you more money yeah and like USA and everything did that feel good I didn't really give a shit. <laughs> were, were you already making money uh, off of swimming? No, because I had just d- finished NCAA. Right. So this was your first time mm-hmm. receiving money mm-hmm. from swimming. And I, and of course, I didn't care. I thought it was not important. I shouldn't do it for the money. You know, like that was my mindset. I love it. <laughs> so I didn't really know what to do, you know. And, and then I took off six months when I got back and didn't swim at all and was, you know, just partying and treating my body like crap and didn't know what to do. And it was a tumultuous time in general for me just personally. And so I was like, cause everything had come up to the surface and I was like, God dang it. <laughs> like, this is so weird. I don't know what to do. Do I keep swimming? Like, I'm not sure what to do. And so I took till January and then January I moved out to California to train professionally because you couldn't train with the NCAA teams anymore. Right. So you had to now switch and now you're in a whole new environment. So, um, (laughs) that is an interesting piece. You you never went back to the Olympics though. No, I retired in 2010. Mm -hmm. I could have easily kept going. Why did you retire? I mean, of course I'm an imagery based person (laughs) right now. So I think of the exact moment that I knew and I knew when we were at Irvine nationals, um, and I, I had known all along that I wanted to do more in my life than just be an athlete. That was a platform. I, I always knew that. I always knew that. Always, to be honest, I always, since I was a little girl, had that perspective about me that I, I wanted to do more than just be an athlete. Um, so that wasn't hard for me. That That feeling of knowing that wasn't hard for me. But the feeling I had when I knew was just that I was at peace with the fact that I didn't need the 
recognition or that validation anymore for myself. It didn't mean I didn't like search like hell for it afterwards, but I didn't need it from the pool anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, this, the, the reason that I'm curious about this is because people who are listening to the podcast uh, have been already asking me questions like, how do people know when to transition or quit? Like, how do you know that? And, and you mm-hmm. defined it as a feeling that was expressed in not needing recognition from being in the pool anymore. That being said, you were searching for that elsewhere. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to that before I, I send you <laughs> to a different place? I know you have lots of lots going on in that head of yours. Yes, I do. Um, so, yes, I I think it's fairly challenging or even impossible to not leave something or transition from something in your life. It doesn't matter what it is without feeling a sense of grief from that. And so I think that I was just down to feel that. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And so I think when you know that you are okay with going through the emotions and knowing that it's going to be messy. Did you know that? I did. Oh, I was so you down knew. to struggle. How, how did you, how did you know it was going to be messy, though? Because I I didn't know what to do. Like, oh, I didn't you were, have you an were, answer. Okay, you were already I didn't have anything lined up. Okay, I was in fashion school. Mm-hmm. I knew that, but I didn't have anything lined up. It wasn't like I was like sick. I'm going into a sweet job, like making mill. You know, like it wasn't like you know this easily easy easy transition with grace that I can just float on into the next thing. Like that wasn't. That wasn't it. And I felt like I was down to struggle, like I wanted to struggle, <laughs> which that theme I got very attached to. And I think that that, like, there's a difference between knowing and understanding that and then getting very attached to that because you're going to struggle. But if you glorify that to, like, that's the only way that you're going to perform or succeed and you're searching for everything wrong with everything so that you can overcome it and feel like a champion, that was a challenge for me going, going on to the next phase. But I definitely knew that I was down to struggle. I knew that I was down to be confused and to try and make it work because it's not like me to just easily go into something with it being like, seamless transition mm, okay so, so you had already experienced some transitions in your life that you, you knew that okay this is going to be rough uh, very much so, so I'm, yeah. I'm i'm down to go through it mm-hmm. that's cool mm-hmm. uh that's a, that's that's pretty amazing because 10 years ago that's a long time ago mm-hmm. and if you think if you think back at you 10 years ago do you feel do you look back and think oh my god caroline 10 years ago was really young or do you see yourself still as, as, as that, Caroline? I'm always a young soul and like a childlike, you know, I have a childlike imagination. I have a, a childlike sense of humor. <laughs> and I just, uh, my presence, I think, is, is very much that. But I, gosh, 10 years ago, I, I mean, I've, I've spoken about this to you before um, and in general just outwardly that I like let's not get it twisted here I definitely did not have an easy path as an athlete I mean it wasn't like all of a sudden I'm like winning races and make it to the Olympics like it was gnarly (laughs) for many years and so I think that I knew because I went through a lot of personal struggles and struggles 
with my body or with relationships or with, with different things that I, and, and coaches and, you know, peers and all of that, like it wasn't just your normal struggles. Like it was a lot for a young girl to go through. And I think that I felt very, um, ready to heal that. And I didn't know how, but I was down to just do it. And so the how for me ended up being chasing things in order to, to figure it all out. Like I chased things. So I thought that that struggle meant chasing the next thing, finding the next award or accolade or degree or whatever it is. I mean, I literally continue to just keep doing things and collecting degrees and award. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad I have them, <laughs> super proud of them. But I'm also understanding that my my why for those things was because I didn't know what to do. And instead of struggling gracefully and knowing that it would be hard, I was grasping and chasing every single thing over and over and over again, thinking that that was going to fulfill me and that that was going to make me happy. And if I didn't do well in them and succeed in them, that I would be a failure because everything had to compare to the Olympics, right? Because that was obviously the only thing that mattered in my career sarcasm but so <laughs> you know there was this it's like this achievement syndrome and what do they call it when when people always think about destinations right like yeah if I just go on this vacation I'll cure my life mine was like if I could just get the next accolade if I can just get that next thing get that next degree I, win that next race do all these like Ragnar relays like do everything to the maximum capacity as best as I can I will be fulfilled and guess what nothing freaking did it <laughs> Because I wasn't, like, I wasn't. I still had a lot to heal. And so, yes, I'm tangenting. Um. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I mean, so so if I were to send you now on a, a, a trip mm-hmm. to the present moment mm-hmm. where you are running a business, mm-hmm. uh, Rise mm-hmm. Athletes is uh, mm-hmm. something that's happening. It's mm-hmm. been around for three years now? About three, yeah. Three years. Yeah. And, I mean, the stuff that I've been watching you put out lately is awesome and inspiring it is Mm -hmm. and i'm loving it and it seems like you're really enjoying it can Mm -hmm. how did you arrive at that point first tell us what rise is and then how did you arrive at that point and why do you even care about putting something like this together Mm -hmm. what's what's behind it it's perfect timing though actually that you said that because everything that i just spoke about is why we created rise Rebecca and I, Rebecca Sony, um, she's she was my Olympic teammate in 2008, went in 2012 as well. Uh, I mean, much more than her eight gold medals, but has eight gold medals <laughs> eight time. Uh, she's fantastic and just the sweetest, most humble spirit. She went through a lot of struggles as well. And her and I started collecting data internally from all of our peers that had retired from swimming or from other sports, Olympians specifically, that were miserable. And so we came together and, you know, I graduated from grad school, a sports psychology at the University of Tennessee, and I was standing in my parking lot and her and I kept in touch for a while. This is 2014. And she had been retired since the end of 2012. And I called her and we had been you know, messaging about her mentorship that she had been starting with a couple of athletes. She's like, I have this whole idea. I've done all this background research. I mean, she's so organized. Like she's the most organized human being. 
we complement each other so well. Uh, and she was like, I, I want you to mentor a couple athletes. I have this idea and I want, would you be interested? Sure. So I started with a sweet girl named Zyla, who I still have. And she was fantastic. And I was like, dude, this is great. I can apply my degree. It's a little bit creative. I can use my other degree. I'm like, oh, I'm like adding these things up now. Like maybe they did matter. So what were your different degrees? Um, I have, well, my undergrad was University of Florida, but you're obviously training, 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 training. So I was swimming was sociology, one. criminology. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I mean, it does. And then I did associate of arts in product development. And then I did sports psychology masters, sports psychology. And um, it was in the kinesiology field. So a lot of it was also some kinesiology stuff. Okay. So you felt like that was, it, it matched, it matched. Uh, mentoring the, this girl, for example. Yeah. And I grew up in, you know, my, my, Family is very into business, so I had a little bit of a business, but I don't have a business degree at all. But I was just talking to her, and I was, she has her degree as well in psychology. And so we were like, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to create this business. And you know, she said, "You have things that I want, and you know that I want from for you to show the world. And I have things that I think you can benefit th- from. So like, let's let's do this. I'm like, let's do this. We're gonna be business partners. We're making this happen. So literally within a couple months, we created Rise Athletes. I mean, it was Rise Elite at first, um, and it was just her and I. And then we brought on one other Olympian mentor just to test it out. And then all of a sudden, we recognized we are doing this because, first of all we felt unfulfilled and we want to give back and we want to create a space where people feel that they are welcome. Olympians feel they are welcome and athletes feel they are welcome. We're like, okay, so like, what does that mean? And then we're like, Oh, Olympians mentoring youth athletes. Like, duh. So we're already doing it. You know, it it took a little while to understand what we were doing and why we were doing it because we were doing it because we were just unfilled and we just wanted to create this idea of helping people. So we nailed it down and we, you know, formalized Rise Athletes and we created a team of Olympic athletes that felt that they wanted more significance other than just competing. So they can be still competing or they can be retired, but finding a way to give back while these youth athletes literally have an Olympian in their back pocket that they're learning from. And not only on sports psychology stuff, but on their experience. I mean, these Olympians have done everything and they have that title next to their name, but they also have a thousand other subtitles in their life, just like we all do, that none of it freaking matters unless people connect. And so we created that platform. It's all digital and it has been really rewarding and very challenging on a lot of levels just to even nail down and scale everything. But it is so, it's really cool. And, and we think it's, we know it's going to be great. So it's definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just watching from the outside, it, it's, it's super cool. And yeah. it, it seems really inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I bet it's uh, not easy work. Uh, yeah. How many, how many mentors do you guys have? How many Olympians? 22 now. 22 Olympians from all yeah. different sports. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah. how, how many uh, mentees? So everyone has a different amount. Okay. So you can have one person that has one if they have a full-time job. And, you know, some people have like 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're making, they're making an income and they're also, you know, giving to like we're a community. They're re- they, they could go do that on their own, but they're a part of a team. 
And that's been the most beautiful experience is these Olympians now have a team again. And so it's the same looping back to the beginning of what we were talking about. You know, when I left NCAAs and I felt like my team is gone. Yeah, you have your team USA and everything, but you also have a a team now that you can be like, wow, these people have all been through what I've been through. We can relate. We can all help these athletes in the same way and share our experiences so they can help their athletes. Um, and we train them all. Like we put them through a course and do the whole thing because we, you know, it has to be so you very have a, ethically bound. You have and, a curriculum. <laughs> yes, a curriculum. And the athletes have a curriculum, but their curriculum is very loose because everyone's different. You meet them where they're at. Um, but we speak with them every week, speak with the athletes every week. And Rebecca and I have kind of stepped back just so we can run the business from the mentoring aspect. But um, it's it's really, really cool. I think the coolest part for us is making a difference for these Olympic athletes that they can really take that and run with it because we knew that we were so lost with that feeling of like, what can we do with this, all this magic that we've just created? What are we going to do with it? You don't have to, you can sit with it if you want, but we want to do shit with it. Like we want to, you know, not just teach swim lessons or teach water polo lessons or, you know, gymnastics, but like we're going to do something with it mindset related because we have that ability to see that there was a problem and there's a problem with people's confidence. There's a problem with people's ability to understand how to perform and how to perform under pressure well, how to take feedback well, how to understand themselves and their self-confidence. All these youth athletes need that. We needed it at freaking 20, 22. (laughs) So we're going to treat them as if they deserve that and that they can you know create that within themselves now before they get to a level where they don't know who they they are anymore or know how to do it you know so a coach can only a coach can do everything but they can't if they have 70 athletes on a team you know (laughs) you can't cater to every single person's mindset every day for two hours of your time so it's an extra addition you know we we kind of think of it as like a a tripod or a triangle or whatever you want to call it. It's like you have your coach, parent, and your mentor. So the parent can do the parent job. That's the foundation, the support. They do everything for this athlete and provide. Mm-hmm. The coach is, you know, obviously physical, mental, and then you have the extra step of that extra mental. And that you can understand, you know, the coach can can understand what the athlete's learning as well so that they can work with the athlete in their sport. Right. Are you communicating with the coaches? No, only... So it kind of we goes have, through the the kids or the family or the yeah, athlete. Okay. Yeah, we have a pretty strict and ethical contract just as far as that goes because we want the athletes to feel empowered that it's theirs, and we obviously, if something is to happen, share it with the parents and the coaches. Of course, if it's like a serious issue or anything like that, but usually we handle all of that um, just with the athletes and then give them the power to do it. I think that's really awesome. That's kind of neutral ground. Yeah. So it's like you, you guys are creating a. Switzerland, for the yeah. lack of better words. That's awesome. Yeah. And now that you're three years deep, what has been uh, something that you feel proud of or you feel like, oh man, this has been, I could, if, if, if it all ended today, this was a success? Oh, I mean, the easy answer would be that we've impacted the athletes we've impacted and seen nearly every single one stay in the program and succeed and some go off to amazing schools and get scholarships and achieve their goals if they want to. But I think the coolest thing, and I don't know if I can speak for Rebecca specifically, but I would say growing our team 
and just seeing it all start to, and I know you can relate to this, when things start to finally come together and you're like, oh my gosh, we're creating a community. Now people sort of get it, what we're doing. Because for so long, I would sit there and I would tell you this too, like nobody freaking gets this. Like, why doesn't anybody understand this? And I need everybody to understand this. And when I let go, you know, over and over, and I let go of people's approval, of what we were doing or not understanding what we were doing. It created space for me to do my job better because I related it to my career in a lot of ways. If I can put my blinders on and not pay attention to the things popping out at me on the yellow brick road and all these distractions that I could make excuses for, nobody gets it. That's why I'm not going to do that. You know, or nobody blah, blah, blah. That's why I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. Like, get rid of my stubborn ass, shut my mouth and go forward with what I know is right, then that is, that's the beautiful thing. And that was what helped build this community. Yeah. That sounds a little bit like when you threw that temper tantrum (laughs) and you you figured out, Hey, you know what? I kind of just need to do the thing that I like to do and I love to do and that I've set out to do, which is swim. In this case is, (laughs) is, is to, is to mentor the, the, Yes. I, I I thought about the other day, my life is like a series of canals, you know, like all lead, like the same history repeats itself like over and over in different expressions. And I'm always down to make changes. I mean, I've moved across the country seven times by myself. I've driven in a car a thousand times to go on trips and you know me well enough. I do a thousand solo trips. I, I am down to be like, I don't give a shit. I'm going and doing it. But I'm, but I'm also recognizing that it's the same. It is. It can. It can repeat itself. The same thing over and over. And unless I make certain changes in certain areas, I will have that same pattern repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And I think this past month was when I really recognized that finally, because I finally slowed down. Like no injury could slow me down as much as a concussion did, and that really slowed me down to be like, I can't even think right now. But all I know is that I see things totally different. And that was what I recognized is that sometimes if you can really put an image to it and and see what has repeated itself pattern-wise, good way, bad way, neutral way, whatever, it does help you understand yourself and then what you can do then to move forward and use that as a baseline. Or else you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I mean, there are a couple things I want to touch on. Uh, And I guess... uh, you you've clearly had some challenges mm-hmm. what, what have what have been some of the biggest challenges you've seen over the last 3 years mm. especially with rise and everything around building that because i know how much effort you're putting into it what mm-hmm. what are things that you've been like oh man this is this is tough right now confidence personal confidence um i think that it humbled me <laughs> cuz we chose a path that is not very safe and it's not very um like you know it's not predictable um and i think that that really humbled me because even though my athletic career like my schools or whatever couldn't have been predictable quote unquote i also had an outcome and i had that thing i was chasing and this you don't really know you're like well 
tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to make, and then the next day is a new day. And then the next day, like you can have your macro goals, but like all the micro changes so damn fast that it really can crush your confidence. Sometimes things do not work. You don't know where you're going. You have to start over again and your whole world crushed, crashes before you as an, as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you're just like, Oh my God. (laughs) Um, so confidence for sure. Um, and I think that that's an ongoing journey when you're building a business. Um, I'm very new in it and I can only imagine like if everything failed and crashed tomorrow, well, (laughs) I'm still going to pick up, have a tough time, be down to struggle, but then understand that I'm never going to settle. So something you make it happen, like you just make it happen, you know, like you, you figure out a way and so yes, so confidence, um, with business, and I would have to say physical, physically, my past two years have been the most eye-opening experiences to what negative emotion can manifest as in your body. Yeah, tell me more, because if I see you from a distance mm-hmm. through social media, and of course I know you, so I, I have insight, mm-hmm. but if I, if I saw you, I'd be like, man, Caroline looks super fit, super athletic, looks mm-hmm. really healthy, has mm-hmm. a beautiful smile, is just everything one would physically want. Uh, and, and I mean this in a, in a very... Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, complimenting way. Mm-hmm. But then you, you did have some pain. You, you went through some painful stuff. T- tell me about that and how, how was that manifesting, that emotion that you were talking about manifesting itself physically? Mm-hmm. Well, I first want to start out with saying that I'm still working on not feeling like guilty for feeling that that was challenging because I always do the well it could be worse <laughs> sure so what, 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 what so were a I'm couple things that happened what that. happened what happened to you um so I broke my heel twice so I, I broke my heel once um how do you break your heel using movement as the wrong medicine <laughs> <laughs> what kind of movement was um, Caroline using I was just using exercise and movement for a long time since I retired as my way of coping and running from the pain of abusive relationships in my life and a lot of very scary self-confidence things when I retired. So I didn't feel my body the way I should have and ran my ass into the ground, literally broke my heel um, so badly that it was a stress fracture that was... 0.02 0.02 or 0.01 millimeters away from breaking a heel all the way through. And that's a thick bone. Like that's something you do from like a skateboarding or a snowboarding accident. So I pushed through pain for a long time because it was addicting to me. I got addicted to that way that was back to the suffering thing. Um, I did it for the wrong reasons. And so I thought I was over that. And then, so then, um, Directly after that, I got a septic knee infection, um, likely from the ocean. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Can you explain leg- what a septic uh, knee infection is? Yeah, it's like a staph infection that turns into... So a type of bacteria? Yeah, and it attacked my knee joint in the front. I let it go for a day. I woke up one night throwing up, passed out. My leg was the side of, size of two legs. So is there a wound that's open yeah. and then it gets infected? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was really hot. It was like on fire. It was all purple. So I went to the ER. I spent a day in there. Uh, on heavy doses of IV antibiotics and it was the last thing I wanted to do (laughs) 
at that point in time because I was like, oh my God, I literally just healed from my heel. I just gotten on my crutches and, and boot. And then um, that happened. That was on my good leg, not my bad heel. So then I was really out for a while. Um, and during this time, I mean, my mindset of movement was like, oh my God. I've never, I mean, I got very, that was one thing in my career. Like I suffered a lot of mental abuse and things like that, but the physical stuff I was very lucky with. I didn't have any problems. I had a little bit of hip pain in my career, but that was it. So this was like new to me. My body was like, what is happening? So, and that was the, the hip, hip pain come from the breaststroke. Yeah, but I think mine was just structural stuff. Okay. I was just lifting wrong. Anyways, I was just curious. I was just curious. Yeah, 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 come on. (laughs) You're trying to relate it to yeah, the, yeah. to the land, yeah. Um, and and so and then I got out of the hospital, and then I took another six weeks off because I couldn't get in the water, I couldn't do anything. You can hardly walk; your legs full of fluid. I had twelve pounds of fluid in my leg, and then I start moving again. I start running again. I'm feeling great. I'm happy. I'm like, holy shit, my life is coming together. Blah blah. blah. I'm getting momentum, but my mind still wasn't all the way healthy, and. This was during a big time when things with the swimming world was releasing was that was releasing as well, and I knew it was going to. I had actually been spoken to you about it, um, and I knew deep down in my soul, I knew I still wasn't okay. Yeah, would you be willing to talk about what was being released yeah. in the swimming world? What was happening? There was a lot happening with coach abuse, um, sexual abuse, and a lot of athletes were pinned in that. Um, and I was one of them because I had um, one of my good friends had a big case out and it was our coach that I trained out here in California with. And he had a lot of things going on. Um, and so the old things that were found in their files were things that were done to their athletes and said to their athletes. And so my name was, of course, in there because I had turned things in and then they choose when it comes out and it was all a waiting game. And that was a gigantic part of the turmoil that I had gone through for a really long time that I didn't heal from heal. <laughs> no pun intended. I always laugh about that. I know. And so then right about at that time, right before that happened, right before all that came out, I'm very intuitive. It's like kind of a, a bit of a little, a superpower of mine, I guess. And it's like, I felt it and I literally manifested my heel break again. I broke it again. I broke it for a second time in a different spot and in the same spot. And I went in and I was like, what is occurring? Like literally Burkle, this is unbelievable. Like I was just beating myself up at horrible self-talk. And then I finally recognized all that came out and I was like, holy shit, I've been holding this in my body. And I started doing a lot of mind body work and like understanding it a lot deeper. I've been holding this shit in my body for a long time. And it has caused a lot of problems for me because things manifest in different ways. And for me, it manifested in ways that literally deteriorated my body because I treated it like shit because I didn't think I was worthy for a long time. I didn't think I was worthy. I was way underweight. I was losing bone density. I was breaking myself. I was hoarding and manifesting all this within my body because I was like, I am not enough. All I was good for was swimming. And then I chased everything afterwards thinking that I was going to find meaning, period. And it didn't work. And here I am. And it was like this giant light bulb. And I wasn't trying to attach too much to that because I knew that if I attached that story so hard, you know, I was just going to like spiral and spiral and spiral. But I did want to understand it and understand myself. So I tried to release that, you know, stigma of like, you're broken. 
you're a problem child and really understand myself within that space. That that's not my identity. Those were events and occurrences that then caused something else and now you understand. You know, and so I think we can all make different reasons. You know, I could have made the reason that I just was running too much and broke my heel. Sure. But that wasn't my choice. My choice was to understand and make the reason to be that. And I firmly do believe that because I believe in the mind-body connection. So then all of that happened. I healed my heel. Finally, I did everything I did. And then like four extra weeks on purpose with nothing, nothing at all. And I put all of my healthy weight back on. I got my periods back for the first time in a decade. I like everything started to happen. And this was like last year at this time ish, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. I think it was January of last year Yeah, uh, that the news was starting to come out yeah. about the allegations. Yes. And we were actually here in Venice mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and you had just <laughs> spoken to the press that morning, I believe. Do you remember that? And I came to you and I was like, I remember we were walking back from Whole Foods and I was like, I just like need to like be in a good headspace. What do I do? Do you remember that? I was like, I just like need this. Like, I I didn't even know exactly (laughs) what was, what was going on, but you slowly started disclosing all this stuff. Yeah. It was a big realization. So you're telling me that for 10 years you didn't have your period. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And I was 125 pounds and I'm 5'10". I'm 150 something pounds now, like, and I'm healthy and I had to get to that weight to get my periods back. So that's what, that was my fighting weight anyway. How did you do that? Besides, uh, doing the mind body connection thing, which is, how did you explore? Sitting on my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, so how, how did you, how, how did you go about, um, addressing your mind and your body? What, what were you mm, practicing? Great points. Um, first time around with the heel, I did not do the things correctly. Um, because I didn't know. I was still finding excuses. I was still in denial. Like, what, the, what do those excuses sound like? Get over your shit. It's not that bad. You're just making a big deal out of this. It was more like um, uh, victim. I was a victim. I was still in the victim mindset. So, like, those were the excuses that I had was that I was a victim. And so I created all of that in my head. Um, and then finally, when I took ownership of my shit, <laughs> I recognized that it was up to me. And it took me long enough to realize that I am not that anymore. You can move on and you can create your own shit. <laughs> and so a lot of the physical things that I did and mind-body things, I did a lot of acupuncture. Um I did a lot of cupping, like I did a lot of manual work because to me, once that was complete, it was not just the act of it during it. It was also afterwards. I felt like I could then, like there was a release occurring in my body. So it's kind of like, um, that relaxing feeling that you get, Mm -hmm. you were able to wind down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you were able to, yeah, that makes sense to me. It was a challenge because I couldn't do yoga. Like with my heel, I couldn't do things on my foot. So I had to get very creative. Like I would literally go and lay in the water and float on my back or I would do a lot of breath work. I did a lot of breath work. I did a lot of mobility work. Um, and then once I could start moving again and doing, I, I did a lot of ocean, therapy, not just swimming. Like I have these routines in the ocean that I just go and I get in it and I literally just lay there and let the waves do whatever they want with me. Like I'm just, it's like a part of me being, 
as long as they're not 10 feet, you know, but it's like a part of me being um, able to be okay and be in an environment that is scary and in an environment that is very uncontrollable and surrender to that and not feel like I need to control it all the time. So I did a lot of releasing and and getting rid of um, those types of things and mentally as well. Yeah, I mean that's very powerful. I was just thinking right now as as you, I was picturing you and the, and the water being kind of tossed around and you surrendering to that 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 is very different from you controlling how you are putting your hand in still water that is in a pool mm-hmm. to propel yourself forward. That's yeah. a very different uh Caroline. Hugely and vastly different. And I've always controlled everything really in my life anyway with my body. You can, I controlled everything. We controlled how we trained. We controlled our eating, our sleep, our, you know, dry land activity, everything. I mean, everything was so monitored and controlled and there was no, um, surrender. (laughs) I mean, there was when you're in the heat of a moment and you need to just like shut it off and surrender and, and go to do the thing, you know, um, which it sounds simple, but it takes a lot of practice to surrender and do the thing. You know, we did a lot of training on that mentally, but it was also the first time, like with the ocean, that I could really just let water do the thing and me not, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you're, do the thing in you're, water. You're not going to battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're letting the battle happen around you yeah. and you uh, try to kind of roll yeah. with the punches. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. So now that you're in a place where uh, just this month mm-hmm. you've kind of realized this, how do you feel right now? Enlightened. Like there's this weird, <laughs> and it's funny because I so I got a concussion. That was the end oh, of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the that's, body that's, stuff. That's the, other, that's the other thing. How do you get a concussion? What happened? I was giving blood, passed out, nailed my head. Split, oh, so you're getting blood. That's right. Yeah, and I got staples and stitches in my skull and then... I hit the floor and ricocheted back, so I got a concussion from hitting twice. That's right. You sent me that damn picture with you with a, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, A A neck neck brace. brace. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) Well, and that's like something that just had, you know, that wasn't something that I felt like, there's a difference in doing something to yourself though, and then having a freak accident. Because it was like, I did the heel. Like I did those As I'm looking at your burned hand right now. (laughs) Oh yeah, I burned my hand. (laughs) I turned 30 and everything happened. You know, that's my excuse. Okay. No, but yeah, there was like a big thing. I just, I felt like I finally have, I've never in my life been so humbled by the power of the mind. And those things are no freaking joke. Like I couldn't stand up for two weeks. I mean, my friends were like, holy shit, your eyes aren't focusing. Like they would come over and I'd be like in bed and they'd have to help me do the rolls and stuff. Like it was insane. I've never had to have help before. Like not, I moved on crutches, like moved apartments. Like I've, I've done everything by myself, like no matter what, how hard it is. And this was like, literally I'm calling my friends. Like I need you to come over. I've never done that. Yeah. And this is because you had vertigo. Yeah. And I was just so sick, but it was like, not just normal vertigo. Were you throwing up and, um, no, only once. Thank God. Oh, thank God. Uh, but I felt like I would all the time. Um, so anyway, the, the vertigo is, was horrible, but more than the physical, because the physical I could handle was the mental and the emotional. So 
um, week two, I started to feel better. And then I must have done something to reconcuss, which is very easy. Yeah. So like, even if you like rattle yourself or do something, so I went, I went to the gym and I, I don't think that I did the proper things or maybe I had gone in the ocean. I don't remember what it was, but the next day I felt horrible. So horrible that I slept all of Thanksgiving day. Like I was supposed to go over to Embo's and I had to sleep all day. It was horrible. Like I couldn't get out of bed. It feels like you, like my eye was lazy. My whole left side of my body was lazy and you can't remember anything. Were you freaking out? So much. Like I couldn't eat your nerve. Cause it just screws up your whole central nervous system, like your whole nervous system. And I'm no doctor. Like, I mean, I could ask a thousand people and I've learned a lot through this process from neurologists and from acupuncturists and everything, but all the nerves, like your vagus nerve, all these things just get totally thrown off when you get a concussion because everything is shifted and nerves are pinched. And I had damaged two nerves over here on the side of my head. So those control languaging. So I couldn't formulate sentences. And remember your, your messaging, we were texting a little was bit. Was it weird? It was weird. Yeah. I and, couldn't, Carl, I, it was insane. I couldn't make sentences. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I couldn't work for a month. Well, and I didn't realize the, the gravity of it. That's crazy. I didn't tell anybody because at that point you didn't tell anybody. That's the yeah. thing. Why didn't you tell anybody? Be- you know what? And this is not the first time. <laughs> here, here comes Carl, <laughs> brother Carl. It, like, it's like when you uh, broke your heel the second time. You're also hiding that. Yes, exactly. And so, do you remember at the beginning of this? I said I feel like I still feel guilty. Like there's always something worse that can happen. I literally got a concussion the same day the fires broke out here. And I was like, who the hell am I to sit here? Because at that point in time, I thought, here's a tricky thing about getting a, a bad concussion is you trick yourself. You think you're fine and you're not. So you're all like, I'm saying that. And then like the next minute you're not. So, <laughs> so the fires are happening. I was like, I am, who am I to say anything about this? So I guess you did post something about I it. I posted one thing about it and I don't even remember writing that. Like a couple of days later, I was like, oh my God. And so I think that was like a big wake up call for me that our minds are so powerful and they are so, they're so powerful, but one thing can happen and you feel like you've lost your mind. Like you, I couldn't remember phone calls. Like for the first, like second week, Tom, Tom Reed, who we all know and love, he's our rise business mentor. We got on a call, me, him, and Rep. I didn't remember the call. Afterwards, I'm like getting a message, and they're like, you need to just, like, no work. And Tom is like, no work. No, not one work. Don't open a computer. You can write in your notebook if you think of things randomly. I don't want you working at all. So then I went through that, like, whole emotional phase where you start crying all of a sudden, or I'll be, like, walking down the street, and I'm just a sobbing mess. And I was like, why am I crying? Like, this is so weird. And I would just be so emotional and things would trigger and and everything comes up. It's like it wakes you. People joke, like, get a knock over the head. I'm going to knock you over the head. And I was like, holy shit, that's true. Like, that's very true. Because everything finally came to a point where I recognize this is a big transition in my life. A huge transition. I hope to live for X teen thousand more years. Like, you know, I, I hope to have a beautiful life and go through a thousand bajillion more lessons and cry on my floor a thousand more times. But I think right now, at this point in time, I am learning that I am not the person that I have been chasing so hard for this long. Like, I am evolving past that and I need to 
get up or get the F out. <laughs> like, and it was like that moment of, okay, now how? <laughs> mm-hmm. I see that's possible, but I don't know how. And so I hop on another call with Tom and I'm like, I've recognized this thing. I think that I'm really finally, I don't even, somebody asked me the other day what happened with the abusive stuff and I didn't even remember it happened. And he was like, oh my God. And you know what? I, I started bringing up all these things I didn't remember happened. I was like, I know they happen, but I'm like not remembering things like I used to. And I was like, I'm going to run with this. <laughs> So, and so, but the whole point was, you're going to remember it. It's going to, but I'm, I'm separating from it. It's leaving. Like it was a slow let goes of releasing these things throughout each thing, each injury or each moment that I started to understand was occurring. And that was just my personal definition of the situation. Um, And I think that it was a self-actualized moment. It was a moment where I chose to understand the power of our minds and the power of our bodies and understanding that shit happens and we can sit there and be like, yep, that happened. I did this, blah, 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 blah. But at what point do you learn from the situation and then use that? And you, if you choose to make a meaning to that learning and then take it forward, that's great. you know. But I also knew that if my job is limited because my job is my mind and I can't use that, then I've got to understand who I am and detach from all these things dictating my worth because that's ha- that has to change until I'm, you know, I've got to move forward with that. So this is a really roundabout way of saying that I understand, I understood that I had been attaching my identity to things and accolades and being a businesswoman and doing all these things and that like I am a soul and a person first and I often felt very misunderstood throughout this whole time with the concussion I mean I cried a million times to my friends like I'm so misunderstood people think I'm this and I'm really not (laughs) it was like all these emotions coming up and it and finally I, I just recognized that that was my cry to understand that I'm not those titles so who are you? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't want to have a definition for that. Like I, the moment that I think about that, I'm like, I'm just a woman. I'm a woman that has that has evolved past an identity that she once knew, and now she's on to understanding herself through other outlets. So it's kind of like what I told you. I find myself as like a center. Like my body is a center. I'm a foundation and my limbs and the things that I do are extensions of myself. They're not me. Mm -hmm. They're extensions that I can take the center and put into them and they impact me, but I can't let them pull me. You know, like I have to be the, the leading the, the head honcho in this, the, yeah, the leading yeah, they're, woman. There they're, they're are spokes coming out of you, mm-hmm. but you have to be at the core. Mm-hmm. Which kind of takes me back to where uh, I started, which is when I'm around you, I feel like anything is possible. And as when we were making coffee in the kitchen right before... When I was making coffee. That's right. I was watching. Um, <laughs> but you know, when, when Logan was showing us how to make coffee, I felt like, I'm like, yes, finally. Th- th- I feel like we're two kids. It's funny. We're just laughing at stupid yeah. stuff. It's very lighthearted. But at the same time, we care about performing at a very high level. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, dichotomy almost where we have to hold two big opposing thoughts in a way at once, which is something that I feel like you carry 
innately. Mm. I feel like that's a superpower of yours. Mm, thank you. Yeah. I think it's something that just is defined by presence because I feel that way about you. I feel, and I've mentioned that to you before, I think there's very few people on this planet that can actually be themselves and it carry presence. And, and you have that. And I think that there's something that I've learned over the past month, especially, is that you can be more than just one thing. You don't have to be one definition, you know? And I had this talk with Tom on the walk just now. Uh, you know, he was like, I think you're just addicted to that vocation thing still. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to be that I need to have a title. I think that there's just this pressure that I find myself falling back into to explain what that presence has to be. And sometimes, and this is where I'm going to get off two second soapbox. I was sitting the other day at a coffee shop and I had this moment and I was like, we're all trying and not everyone, not everyone, not we're all, but a majority of people are trying really hard, myself included, lots of people included to provide this message to the world as to who they are and what the hell they're doing all the time. And we're all becoming these things. <laughs> it's like, when will the person be their story? When will their life be their story first before the product they're selling or the shit they're doing? Because I've lost a lot of people. Or not, you know, like physically, but I've lost, like, I, I don't I don't know who they are anymore. And And... I don't have to know. They don't have to explain themselves, but I, I want to see somebody's soul. Like I want to see someone's childlike spirit and playful spirit and natural just ability to be present and enjoy the little things and make dumb jokes. And it, like that to me is like someone's story is all of that it doesn't have to be right or wrong. It's just all of who they are and what they exude in their presence and their ability to, to, to carry themselves around others and to relate and connect and, you know, show compassion and have, have love for things. And it sounds like a lot, but I think that that is all tied up in presence. And if that is their story first, then everything else that they do are the extensions of that center. And those things carry that just by default when it's already here in the center first. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. get very abstract. <laughs> no, it, it is abstract. But, uh, you know, when you talk about presence, when <clears throat> when you walk through the door here, I immediately know that you're here. Like that, that is felt, you fill, you fill a room, uh, really quickly. I'm loud. <laughs> yeah, you're loud, you're bright, you're, you're, you're felt. So your presence is massive. That's, that's no doubt about it. I think the center though is interesting. It's, it, have I ever done the superpower thing with you? No, but I love this because I was okay, just thinking let, about this earlier. Let's just quickly do the superpower thing. So, okay. so think about one thing that you're really good at, anything. Okay. Uh, go got for it. it. Yeah, you got it. Tell me what it is. Intuition. Intuition. Yeah, cool. Intuition. Now I want you to think a second a second thing that you're really good at. Okay. Okay. You got it. What What is it? Communication. Communication. Great. Yeah. And now give me one third thing that you're really good at. It can be anything. <laughs> uh, dreaming. Dreaming. Okay. <laughs> so this is awesome. So your first one was intuition, which is your ability to feel mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not necessarily logical. 
Like you, you have visions, like you say, you have yeah. imagery. Yeah. Um, you can feel inside of you what's happening. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a sense of what's going on. So that's that's kind of the, the first thing that if you can acknowledge that uh, you lead by uh, being intuitive or by feel, mm-hmm. now you're performing through your center, if you want to call it that, or a high, at a higher level. Your second thing that you said was communication, mm-hmm. which is your ability to now take what you're feeling and articulating it. People <laughs> have been listening to you right now for an hour and nine minutes and <laughs> articulate <laughs> what you've experienced over time mm-hmm. in uh, the best way that you could. So you clearly communicate. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're uh, being intuitive, meaning you're feeling and you're communicating what you're feeling, you're centered, mm-hmm. you're, you're aligned, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Can you, can you relate to this? Yes, Does this absolutely. make sense? 100%. Crystal clear. And then uh, finally, you said dreaming, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of like a visionary mm-hmm. uh, scene further. Uh, what are you becoming? Mm-hmm. Who are we becoming? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Where could we go? Mm-hmm. Can we choose? That, that ability to see is also uh, creating space for oneself to be able to grow. And growth mindset, of course, is potential. Mm-hmm. And potential gives space for people to move and that yields uh, fluidity. And we can go down that yeah. rabbit hole. right? So the way I see it, Caroline Burkle is someone that has presence as an observer i get to see presence Mm -hmm. but the way that she navigates this world is by feel first Mm -hmm. (laughs) second through articulating either verbally or emotionally or physically Mm -hmm. what she's experiencing what Mm -hmm. she's feeling and third uh creating the space for people to see what is possible Mm -hmm. and this ties straight back in to where we started anytime i'm around you i feel like (laughs) anything is possible yeah and and that makes so much sense (laughs) and it's learning how to not uh also with the feeling and communication learning how to not let that dictate everything sometimes. Right. Because, and, and the beauty of this is that as long as you are aware, mm-hmm. which is what you're constantly practicing, mm-hmm. that you are an intuitive person that communicates what is mm-hmm. in your intuition, what you're experiencing, mm-hmm. and then uh, showcase how that uh, is unfolding in a vision, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, in a relationship mm-hmm. or in the pool mm-hmm. or mentoring mm-hmm. or developing a business or now talking to me, you are 100% present mm-hmm. and aligned with who you are. Yeah. And this is not us saying, hey, we're going to put you in a box. It's more like, I like that. you yeah. are fluid, yeah. you are contextual, yeah. uh, but there is a human side of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the thing so yeah. that that's kind of my superpower game what do you think that's so true because that's exactly why i sketch too all those three things and yes that's that like you nailed it like perfectly um and i think that that's also it's it's something that i take a lot of pride in is having those three things and it's funny we took one of those like strengths quests or whatever in college and my second thing I mean those like three were on there but like the the third thing was strategic and I always laugh because I was like I never would have thought it was strategic but I think I'm strategic about all of those things (laughs) it's like there's there's a way of executing it when I once I understand them it just takes me a minute um and you know just I guess in wrapping that up it's important that 
I've learned that sharing my life and these stories and these experiences are, I, I really, I just enjoy talking about them because not only do I learn every time I do, people and humans want to understand and relate to other humans. And if they can pick up anything from someone's conversation or learning something about someone else's life that triggers any sort of understanding in themselves, that's all I care about. That's all I ever want is is when I hear people's stories about their lives and when I read books and, and understand what other people have gone through, I then don't feel alone. And I also feel like I've then understood something about myself based upon what they've shared. And so that's my entire mission, really. And that's why I like having these conversations, because if I can impact anybody or spark something within them, that's gold to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. So if you, if you, if you had some final words uh, for people uh, as, as if uh, you were to pass on the Olympic torch, okay? Mm. Um, what are those words as you're taking that Olympic torch and passing it on? to the next runner, what would you say? I would say allow yourself. And I know that sounds very simple, but I think that if we can allow ourselves to blank and you choose what that is, and that's based upon things that you're understanding about yourself, things that you're, you know, maybe quote unquote searching for, what, what do you want to allow maybe into your life or to understand? But that prompt really helps me. So maybe it can help somebody else. Because I think if you walk into a room and say to anybody, I want you to allow yourself to, and you finish the sentence, that sparks a whole lot of emotion for people. Because the word allow, yeah. there's a lot of meaning and connotation to that that people have. Uh, so... I've been focusing on that word, allow, accept, like understanding. What what are you going to allow? Very abstract again. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, even just thinking about this podcast, I had to allow myself to start it because I had so many uh, expectations that I was setting ahead of the game. You remember when I started the first season yeah. and I tried to do this thing and I was sharing with you and yeah. cutting it up and yeah. doing all these things and I wanted to make it different and then I was like, F it. I'm yeah. just doing it long form and doing the thing that feels right to me. Yeah. I had to allow myself to do that. And I'm so glad I'm doing it because I feel so great. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm great at it. (laughs) I appreciate that. I could go on and on. I'm going to interview you one day. Got it. Switch the role. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Um, (laughs) How can we support you? What can people do to support you? Where can they find you? Uh, Yeah. How can we, how can we support uh, Caroline's mission? Um. I mean, social media-wise, we're on Rise Athletes is on um, social media. Obviously, we have Facebook, Instagram, and the website. So at Rise Athletes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think the the biggest and my personal one is Carol Burkle. Um, but I think the biggest support, other than digital, is just reaching out. Like I, I enjoy people reaching out and curiosity for life. And I love questions. <laughs> I love answering questions. Um, so I just really like connecting with people and learning to understand them. And even if it's digitally and hopping on a call, I will do anything 
really <laughs> within time structures and everything, of course. Yeah. But I really like connection. So just reaching out and getting curious. And I have no filter, as you know. So I know. Literally <laughs> ask me anything. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I can attest to that because you and I met over Instagram. That's true. We did. And I've told you everything yeah. in my whole life. <laughs> we've, had, we've had more conversation over Instagram than in person. This is a fact. And I'm so glad that now we have audio messages, voice messages that we send. Aren't they awesome? And they're so clear on Instagram now, too. They're so good. Props. Shout out. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> voice message. Caroline. Yeah. I love those, actually, by the way. Those are awesome. Oh, I'll finish with that. That's what I'll say, is that if you ever want to connect with me, leave me a voice message, because I do really well with hearing tone and expression and understanding someone's tone more than I do writing. I, I appreciate writing, but I, he, I do well with tone and understanding that. So I'm with you. I think that <laughs> that is, is a big one. And then you know what's cool about it is that it's only one minute. Yeah. So you have one Can't minute. Can't me much. Yeah. Unless you're Caroline, then you send 12. <laughs> In a row. <laughs> 13. But if you're going to contact Caroline, only one, guys. Only one. one. Yeah, there one you answer it. Right <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this is it. This is great. Did, this is a lot of fun. Did we land it? I think we landed it. Dude. Fist bump to end it out? Yes. Yeah, just like we, we started? It. Boom. <laughs> Boom. We made the impossible possible. It happened. Boom. <laughs> and thus concludes another episode, my friends, of the Freestyle Way podcast. And it's not just another episode. This was a benchmark episode, which I'm so grateful I had someone as special as Caroline Burkle to make that happen. And to you guys, super thank you again for listening all the way through. And if you're listening right now, you know what to do. You can go ahead and take a screenshot of your phone, share that on Instagram, on Twitter, on your stories, and just make sure that you tag us. Tag myself at Carl Powley and tag our guest, Caroline Burkle, who you can find at Caro Burkle, which is spelled C-A-R-O-B-U-R-C-K-L-E, Caro Burkle. And also, do me a favor, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And the reason I say iTunes is because most people listen on iTunes. But wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review, rate us. And also, make sure to subscribe as every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the podcast comes out and you may forget. And by subscribing, boom, you get a notification and it tells you to listen. And that, my friends, will keep you up to speed and up to date with what we're doing here and will keep me very happy (laughs) because what brings me happiness is producing more podcasts, connecting with you guys, and having great conversation. So now, my friends, this episode is over and next week we have more. So in the meantime, enjoy, go kick some ass, And I'll talk to you next week. Peace.